Bless you. Thank you, Wendell. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I don't have anything else but the Word. I'm not very good looking. Everybody said amen. I mean, what else do I have but the Word of God? You know what I'm saying? So let's look in and look into it. Hey, before we do, I want to back up on a couple of things that we were talking about last Wednesday, and I enjoyed that. That was such a great interchange, such a great spirit in here, and I appreciate all that. But I want to start turn quickly to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. It's the second law, chapter 7, and I want to show you. I couldn't, I couldn't remember where these verses were last week, and I don't know why. They're just some things kind of not sticking like they used to, but I'm older than I've ever been. So what can I say? Chapter 7, I, 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 I ask you all why God chose Israel. And listen to what the Word of God says. The Word of God, Horse Sitton used to teach us, he loves saying this. He said, chapter and verse will stand when nothing else will. He said, give me chapter and verse and I'll take it. Otherwise, don't waste my time. And that's a pretty good philosophy to live by. But, you know, a lot of times, and, and I learned this when I was growing up, I heard people say, well, God chose Israel because they were the smallest. You all decide, as we read this, whether that's what the Word of God says or not. He said, and I'm going to pick it up in... Um, in verse, oh, I don't know, probably get in verse 6, just kind of get the flow of it. For thou art an holy people, talking about the nation of Israel, unto the Lord, chosen means sanctified, which means set apart. God chose them and set it apart for him, hence they were holy. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee. Everybody in here saved, say amen. amen. By the way, he's chosen you too. Amen. Just wanted to share the good news with you. He said to be a special people in himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. What's the next word? Because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand redeemed you out of the house of bondmen for the hand, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose them because he loved them. In the word of God and in theological parlance, that's, that's called sovereignty, which deals with election. God has the ability to choose whomever he wants to choose for whatever reason. And man has no ability to question God or to say why. But I just love that passage of Scripture. They weren't a very big group. They're not a very big group. But I'll tell you what, that nation that is now the tale of the nations, at least historically, it may not be currently that exactly, it will be the head of all nations. Let me give you one more that we were, we were talking about. Turn to the book of John as you go back to the book of Romans chapter 9. And what, what brought us here to this, this point and this idea in chapter 2, and I'll just give you the introduction and quick review. In chapter 2 of this book of Romans, chapters 1, 2, and 3 actually are all about God bringing the heathen and the Hebrew and the hypocrite into his courtroom. And the final verdict is declaring them that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, meaning we need a Savior. Doesn't matter who it is. In chapter 2, God is really bearing down on the Jew but he also says in verses 9 and 10, and the Gentile also who have the knack, and the Jews had a real good knack of looking down on people because they were the chosen. 
because they were God's elect. God even called the nation of Israel His son. I've called them out of Egypt, my son out of Egypt. And they had, uh, they had come to the place by their own choosing that they would look down on everybody else that, quote, did not have the law, although they had the law and didn't do the law. And this is what this chapter is really all about. I mean, you're going to find all of this in there, what I am saying. And God began to get on them through the Apostle Paul pretty heavy. And he begins to talk to them about judgment. And that's what this chapter is about. In this chapter, we have four principles of judgment. I highlighted them last week, maybe the week before. I'll highlight them again tonight. And we'll even see in chapter 2, as I introduced the thought to you last week at the end, of our, of our uh, study, that I'm thinking that the second part of chapter 2, with the exception of a few verses, the last two at least, are a commentary on what he says in the first 16 verses. And I'll show you that as to why. I've studied on this to the point that I'm satisfied. I've checked others' uh, sources out, men. I'm ta- I didn't get this uh, anywhere from a book. I just got it from studying and what the Lord has opened my mind up to. But we made mention of this man that was born blind and how the Pharisees reacted toward him. Do you all remember that conversation? I mean, it, it was a very intense, it was a very intense that day on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount, when this man who had been born blind had been touched by Jesus, and everybody wanted to know why. His mom and dad were scared to death. Everybody else was scared to death. Well, this looks like that guy, but we can't be sure. And this guy, listen to this, this is a good application, who had been touched by the Lord, had enough boldness to say, well, look, fellas, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I'll tell you what I do know. Whereas I was blind, now I see. So we're going to pick it up here. And I was trying to use that as an illustration of the attitude of the Jews. At this time, in this passage, talking about the Pharisees, describes the elitist, the religion elitist of that day. And we'll pick it up, oh, in verse, uh, I don't know, pick it up in verse 31, read down through at least 34. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man, chapter 9, the book of John, did I not tell you? Sorry, I apologize. It'll be good when you get there. Chapter 9 of the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right, I don't want to hear too many pages turning. John 9, the gospel of John. Gospel according to John, actually, is the correct way to say it. John 9, 31 and following. And we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will... Him a year. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And listen to what they answered. And this was the blind man talking, if I remember correctly. He said, They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out of the temple, out of the temple area. Do you see their arrogance in that? Do, do you see, see their, hear their elitist um, thinking? And actually, when you get down to it, it's called hypocritical thinking. They thought that they, because of the position that they were in, 
were better than anybody and everybody else. Now, I know this was the leaders of the nation of Israel. This blind man was a Jew himself, but this is what they laid on my heart last week to illustrate the elitist idea and the hypocritical view that the nation of Israel possessed. Now, hold on just a minute, everybody. I don't probably know anybody in here that hadn't at one time or another in your life been hypocritical, if you'll be honest. You say, what do you mean being hypocritical? That's offensive. Most everybody has worn a mask. And you know where we wear most masks? In the door of the church. How many times do people ask you, how are you? And you're not very good and you say, I'm doing really well. How are you? Now, we do that out of kindness. Not everybody wants to know really how you are. I mean, and you don't want to know really how they are. But what I'm trying to say is, and this is part of the caution of this whole chapter as I understand it. We ought to be cautious in our judgment, in how we do it, and what we would do to help the individual that we are judging in light of the fact that we do judge. Everybody heard me say it's okay to judge the last two weeks, say amen. We're commanded to judge, actually. But it's how we do that, the attitude, the reason, and what we're willing to do to help that person that we're saying, hey, are you aware that you have a problem? Do y'all know what blind spots are in your own life? Blind spots in our life, everybody has them. I learned that in... in in my studies and preparation to become a counselor, and I'd never, I'd never been introduced to that idea, but after watching people, after studying the rationale behind it, I'm convinced that we all have blind spots. You see them in me, but I don't see them. You see things about me that I don't see. And there's nothing wrong with that, just how we are. But let me tell you all something. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceit. I like it when people are honest with me and they criticize me for the right purpose. But I don't like critics. And that's a total opposite different statement. I've dealt with critics all of my time that have been in the ministry. I can discern easily between who is what. But if you're here to help me, if you've got something that that will help me grow in this work, I'll stay with you, listen to you all day. But if you just want to come past me and be flippant because you don't like me or because you're upset with me about something, trying to hurt me, look, I'm so tough at 70, you can't hardly believe it. You hear me? But now I still can get hurt. Don't take that wrong. So so here in in chapter 2 of the book of Romans, for what I'm going to do tonight and until we get through this chapter, I'm going to highlight the four principles of judgment that we find here. Now listen. They're not man's principles. Ever heard me say that? Say amen. They're God's principles. You see, we all judge according to our own standard. You all understand that? Now, your standard's different than mine because your experience has been different than mine. Your education, your opportunities, a, a series of things we could put in that list. But we all have a standard. And we're funny creatures. I'm going to take time to illustrate there's this preacher, he was going down to preach, and 
An old preacher told him, he said, look, son, when you get down here, you're going in tobacco company, country. He said, don't say anything about it. We know we've got convictions up here in the north. We don't, we don't smoke, we don't drink, and all that kind of stuff. You know, as believers, we, we, just, we just don't do that. But when you go, if you just don't let that bother you, just let them do what they do and just preach to them and love them, you'll be all right. He said, well, he got down there, that boy did, and he got to preaching. He said about three nights in, he couldn't stand himself. He said he had seen the ladies dipping and the men chewing. Matter of fact, one guy sat beside an open window. He didn't have a spit to it. He just spit out the window. He said, I did pretty good until one night there was a man came in, lit a cigar, and smoked it while I was trying to preach. And he said, you know what, folks? We ought not to do that in the house of God. He said about that time, a little old lady stood up and said, Neb, bless God, brother, you tell him. He said he ought to die and go to hell. He said, wait just a minute. He said, you ought to die and go to hell. Somebody burn something tastes that good. And he said, wait just a minute. He said, wait just a minute. I didn't say anything about going to hell. And here's, here's the moral of that. As long as you're doing what I'm doing, you and I are okay. But when I quit doing what you're doing, I'm in deep trouble with you. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, we're human. Everybody agree with that? Say amen. We're fallen creatures, if you agree with that. And we prove it. You can say amen to that too. This chapter is about that. And judgment that we need to be more concerned about than any other judgment is the judgment we're going to have as we stand before God Almighty. Now, as believers, our sins run to the blood. If you know that, say amen. All of them... All of those in our past, in our present, and in our future, if John meant what he said and he did when he said the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. You see, for years I lived in a hellish condition because I thought from the time I got saved back, God took care of all my sins. And somewhere or another, from that point on, my day of salvation on, I was responsible for them in a way that I couldn't understand. I lived in bad shape, didn't we, Dorothy? You, you come out of that kind of ideology too. But listen, it was good for me to know that I'm accepted in the beloved and that His blood cleanses me from all sin. Let me give you some good theology while I'm here. We get it in a song that on occasion we sing, uh, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let, my hide, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin, the double cure... Save from sin, the blood, and make me pure, the word. Y'all get that? We don't plead the blood every time we sin or fail. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. How can a young man cleanse himself from his ways? The answer, by taking heed thereunto according to his word. The blood has already done its work. The blood continues doing its work. But when we break fellowship with God, listen, we repent, better repent. We get chastised until we do. Even the point of being taken out, if we don't for an early grave, we get washed up by taking the Word of God and applying it to our life. Chapter 13 of the book of John illustrates that cleanly. When Jesus said, he said, if you're washed, you don't need to wash again. You just need to wash your feet. I won't have time to explain that. Pray about it. I'm thinking about doing a study starting at sometime early winter, late fall, and, uh, and just looking, looking at what the Word of God says about eternal life for a believer. Okay, so think about that. Everybody okay? I'm like Greg Carney. None of that's in my notes, all right? So. 
Look at what he said in verse 2. Here's the first principle of, 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 of judgment. Well, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now, here's where I'm going to say, and we may not get any farther or further. What's, what's correct there, further or farther? Further? What? It doesn't really matter then, okay? If you all don't know, I'm in good shape. I'm happy. Do you hear me? We may not go any, we may, we, let me just say, we may not go beyond this one point. How about right there? But anyway, look, look at how that's written again. But we are sure. Can I tell you what? That changed the whole complexion from this. Therefore, thou art an excusable old man. Whosoever thou art, that judgest for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest another doeth the same things. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But he stops and said, but wait. The judgment of God, I want you to know, we're sure about it. Wouldn't it be good if all of us could judge in truth? Wouldn't that make an all a world of difference in how we relate and how we communicated and how we could help each other? You see, we do relate according to truth, or, or we do relate in truth, but it's according to us. And I don't know about you all, but I'm limited in that area. Now, it's a strange day, and Lord have mercy. I don't want to spend much time on this. But we're living in a day that if your truth isn't my truth, it's not true. Y'all did understand that. Well, I don't exactly believe that philosophy. But I'm going to tell you what, there is a truth that's higher than my truth and yours. And that's what we ought to seek after. If we could do it in truth like God does, like God will, it would change things. Let me just leave it at that. And it goes on to say, he said that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now, what things do they commit? Well, it has to do with judging. Y'all agree? So let's go over in verse 17, and I'm going to read maybe the first six, seven verses. Now, watch how Paul speaks. I'm telling you, I got to reading this. I've had so much trouble trying to figure out how to study and teach this to you all this second chapter. just way over my head. I've told y'all how I depend on the Lord, and I still am. Now listen to what he says. Now look, he said, Behold, thou art called a Jew. Now look, let me say this. That is a great privilege. If there were Jews in here tonight, they would maybe question me on that. And they would give me rationale as to why they would disagree with that statement. All that they have suffered, all that they had gone through. But I got news for them. God's not done with them yet. Best is yet to come. For them, they have suffered. They have suffered more than any people that I think I'm, I'm aware of on planet Earth. But all at the same time, God has blessed them and done something that He has done with no other people. He's preserved them for over 2,000 years. And He did it by burying them in the nations. But look what He goes on to say. He said, Behold, thou art a Jew, and look at this statement, and resteth in the law. Let me ask you all enough. Is it enough to rest in the law? Do y'all hear the unspoken in that? You see, they did rest in having the law. But God said that's not enough. You've got to not only have the law, you've got to do the law. Did y'all get that? 
got to do the law. Thou boastest, you rest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Remember, I told you God chose them. Sovereignty of God elected them. Sovereignty of God out of all people. Said, this is the ones I want. He gave them covenants, gave them promises, gave them fathers, gave them blessings. And he says in verse 18, And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. He said, look, you know his will. You know God's will. You know the things that are approved, that are more excellent. You've even been instructed by the law. Remember, you all came out of Egypt, stopped at Sinai, and stayed there probably a whole year where God made that motley bunch into a nation. Isn't that amazing? My, my, my. Y'all know they heard the voice of God. They saw the presence of God on the mountain. They saw Moses come off the mountain with with the glory of God on him had the laws and the tablets in his hands. They saw him break them, but God gave them another set. How gracious God is. See, I'm I'm getting happier and happier every thought I'm, I'm getting on this. They had an advantage. They had something special. But let me tell us all, be cautious. I hope everybody's listening. God blesses us not to make us pride, but to humble us, to make us thankful and grateful and to give him glory and honor for you know what I was talking to him the other day and I said Lord I don't have a thing it's all yours he sure does my friend everybody's glad he does amen thank God I don't deserve it but that's not the way God is that's not the way he is so look see if this doesn't sound like again a commentary And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. Now wait just a minute. In reality, that's why God chose them. He wanted them to reflect the truth of God. He wanted them to be a light to the Gentile world. Steve, When God chose Abraham, why did he choose Abraham? What was God's purpose for Abraham and his seed? You answered that, I think, last week or the week before. To prove that there was only one God. He chose Abraham, a a Gentile, who was a pagan, who would have followed his father into the priesthood of Ur of the Chaldees until he heard the voice of God say, if you'll just believe me, here's what I'll do with you. When God created man in the beginning, man was monotheistic. He served one God and one God only. That's the only one he pursued. That's the only one he worshipped. That's the only one he knew. But I'm going to tell you what, when, when things die, You'd be surprised how quickly putrefaction and corruption and rotting and stench and so forth comes. Do y'all ever see a deer on the side of the road in the middle of summer on Tuesday after it's just been hit? That thing's not very big, is it? But you go by it Thursday afternoon after it's been 103 degrees for three days, and that baby's a whopper, you know that? You can smell him about 150 yards before you get there and about 250 when you get because the draft pulls it right along. 
man, when he fell in the garden, he fell hard, he failed fast. He failed in the third chapter, and, and you know what? There was murder in the next chapter. Isn't that amazing? God intended for them to be a light, to be a representative to all the rest of the world of the one true God to bring them back from polytheism or the worship of multiple gods back to the one true God. Had a great privilege, had a great opportunity. But like most men do, even like we do, we fail in what God's called us to do. He goes on to say, now you're an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes. Wasn't that kind of position that Pharisee seemed like he was talking to that blind man and now could see? What? You teaching us? You've never been educated. You've never been where we've been. You've never achieved what I've achieved. Can I tell you what? I've seen preachers out of the hills of the hollers over home. They just could cup. I still don't know why they cupped her hand. To this day, I don't know. And could out-preach some men that, that, that had two masters degree and a doctorate. Listen, can I tell you, you don't have to be old to be wise. And just because you are old doesn't mean you're wise. It doesn't come with hair, by the way. I never will forget one of the first things that when I got here at this church... People had awful trouble with the word elder it ever was. I just did a Bible study on it and it kind of quietened things down. They, yeah. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I've been in meetings with people that's got way more letters going into their name than I have to go on mine and I've got a couple. I'm not boasting it. I'm thankful for it. That were dumber than a box of rocks. I'd look at them sometime and I'd say, can I ask y'all a question? They said, yeah. I said, you really believe what you just said you believe? And they said, oh, yeah. I said, okay. I just let it go. I, I, it's not that I'm the smartest thing in the world, but man, oh, man, oh, man. Wisdom comes in a lot of different packages. Thou, therefore, in verse 21, which teaches another, teachest thou not thyself? I never will forget when I was first starting to preach, First got called to preach, and I didn't know it. They said, I saw that finger come over the pulpit when you were leading devotion. That scared the bejeebies out of me when I found out I was doing that. But somebody told me, said, don't forget, if you point with one, you got four pointing back. And there, there's a great deal of truth to that. Can I tell you all, there is not a time I get in the pulpit to either teach or preach that I haven't wallowed with what I'm teaching and preaching to you. And can I tell you, the hardest time to wallowing is when I know I'm not living up to what God says you're going to preach or teach. Now, you say, that's hypocritical. No, it's not. That's just being real. I've got to grow like you all do. And every preacher, that, to be honest with you, will tell you that he struggled with the same thing. When God sends a message that we've got to teach and preach, and our life maybe isn't up to snuff on it itself. So Paul calls her hand. Do you get what he's doing? I'm trying to make applications as I go, and I'm going to get done with this, and we'll move on to the second, to the second principle of, of judgment next week. He said, Thou that sayest, uh, and, and look now, he's going, to get, he's going to get the moral issues, the spiritual issues, and, and the sensual issues in these three. It's almost like, and I didn't study this out, so please don't take it to be true, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. 
And I'm just about guessing if we would study them, they may very well fit. And I'll probably look at it after it's now been evoked to my mind. But he said, uh, where did I leave off? Verse 21. He said, Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that sayest, thou, thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? You see, look, let me tell you this, and we're going to quit. Paul was as honest with his own brethren. This was his nation. This was his people. Turn quickly to chapter 9. Let, let me just read it instead of quote. Look, turn quickly to chapter 9. Paul wasn't throwing them under the bus. This, listen, you're hearing the heart of a pastor reach out to his people and say, hey, listen, are you understanding what's going on? Can, can, can you... Can you Turn around, be brought back from this. Are you willing to learn? You willing to grow? Listen to what he said in chapter 9. Can't wait till we get to these three chapters, 9, 10, 11. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. You know what Paul was saying there in essence? I would be willing to die and go to hell if in, in the exchange of that God would save you and take you all to heaven. Wow. So Paul wasn't cutting the feet out from under his countrymen, his brethren. Paul loved them. He was being honest, being straight, it was one of those Sunday mornings that he wasn't preaching a happy, happy, happy message, but he was a preaching a helping, helping, helping message. Paul even wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And he said, after I wrote it, I almost repented that I, because I didn't want to make you sorry. I wanted you to sorrow unto repent. I didn't want to just make you sorry. In other words, I didn't want to hurt you. But can I tell you what? Sometimes the truth has to hurt us before it can help us. It's a thing that will quicken us. It'll, quicken means to make alive, by the way. It'll, it'll enlighten us and it'll enable us to become what we ought to be. So, can you all see why I think I'm seeing the commentary written by Paul on the first 16 verses of chapter 2 and the second part of chapter 2 of the book of Romans? If you can't see it, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think I'm going out of bounds doing it this way. And uh, if you can see it, give glory to God. He, he goes on to say, Thou makest thy boast of the law through breaking the, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. And I'll pick this back up next week a little bit. I'm going to spend a lot of time on it because it could, well, we could spend a lot of time. He said, now listen to this. He said, the name of God is blasphemed by you among the Gentiles. That wasn't God's intention for His people. Everybody that understands that, say amen. See, they were to be instructors. They were to be in teachers. They, they, they were to do these things as an example, but not as a hypocritical person that looked down their nose on somebody that didn't have, listen now, the privilege and the opportunity 
that God had given to them. And that's important when we come to understand, as we will, uh, how God will judge. And part of it will be according to opportunity in life. All right. I'm not done, but I'll quit.